Okay, uh, if you'd pray with me. Father God, I just come to you today that we have a lot of your, your word to, to read through here, and there's a lot of really important stuff. And so God, as, uh, as you use me as the vessel to convey this to uh, your children, I just ask that your truth would be heard. Uh, God, you brought us all here to hear a truth or truths uh, within this passage. And so God, I just ask that our minds would be calmed and our hearts would be ready to hear what it is that you have to say. Speak to us t- this morning. And pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so today is different than last week. Last week we only went through two verses um, in Ephesians 5. We're going to continue with a vast majority of Ephesians 5 today. Uh, going 18 verses, we're going to go verse 3 to 21. Um, but I've broken them up into bite-sized chunks for us, so it shouldn't be too much. Um, so what I want to do today is just start out by looking at Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, and highlight a few things that Paul really makes clear to us in this chapter. So we, we learned last week that 1 and 2 is Paul telling us to imitate God, and we talked about God's attributes as per Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy Book, um, and how that's unachievable for us um, to, to actually hit those marks of omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresent. Um, and so to, this is Paul continuing to tell us as Christians how we should live. Um, in this first section in 3 through 5, he hits on three really, really big topics. And so we're going to we're going to take a look at those, start reading at verse 3. It says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, I'm not big on reading, and so the phrase to be named among you was troubling for me. Because at first I thought, if I can't have any glimpse of those or have any of those be done for it to be proper as a saint, then I'm in trouble. But in, in digging into it and in looking into things, that phrase alludes to people thinking that as a first thought for you. So if someone thinks of me in any of those three words, immoral, improper, or greed come up, then I'm not being what I could be. I'm not living as a proper saint. Um, and just clarification, immorality in this sense uh, is focused to the, the sexual immorality uh, aspect. Some uh, versions of the scriptures use the word fornication in its stead. Impurity is for anything that is not morally correct. Um, and then greed is one that we all know of. And so right off the bat, Paul hits us pretty hard with three really heavy things to tell us not to live like. He doesn't hold back. And then he even goes as far to say that this is not proper among us. And so it's validation that if those three are evident in our life in a high value, or if we value those things or live those things, then we are doing something wrong. And then Paul goes on, to touch base, and he says, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. 
And so he goes in and says a little bit more, takes a few more jabs at people and say, hey, also don't do this. Now, this is a tough one, especially in our day and age, um, because sarcasm is probably the most commonly spoken language in the world. And coarse jesting or, or dirty jokes is also a very common thing in today's society. And here, Paul is saying that these are not fitting for people that claim to be a Christian or a saint. I know when I was younger, and I find myself even nowadays, if someone makes a joke, the that's what she says response is a very common one. But that falls under coarse jesting. Coarse jesting, the definition of it biblically is anything that would make someone think an unclean thought. And so if I, if I take a step back and I think about conversations I have with college kids doing college ministry or watching TV and someone makes a, a joke and I laugh at it, then I'm validating that process. And so these three make it really difficult to be like, okay, well, how proper of a saint am I? Because I like to joke. I use sarcasm. Filthiness, that's an easy one to, to try and stay away from. Do what I know is right. But then Paul follows this up with a really encouraging uh, line. And he says, but rather giving of thanks. And so I'm going to stop here and, and spend a little bit of time on this before we jump into more do nots. Um, while I was, I was reading through this this week, I was thinking, okay, in today's society, how is it that we can stay away from coarse jesting? How is it that we can stay away from, you know, intentional sarcasm to rip people down or, or filthiness, uh, immoral actions? Paul's answer is, but rather give thanks. And so I was starting to think about that and it, I started to laugh in my head because if someone, say I'm on, on the college campus, is making a joke and then it says, but rather give thanks. And so I'm like, well, I can't just say thank you for that joke. That would be weird. But my perspective of it is what can change. I could be thankful of the time that I'm spending with that person. I can be thankful that he has a sense of humor, even though it could be cleaned up a little bit. And so just giving thanks in, in a specific situation to a specific attribute is a way that I can get around or potentially get around the desire to do that myself. And so Paul, again, he doubles back in the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral, impure, covetous, or idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is probably the biggest punch of that entire first set of passages, because if all of us were to look at ourselves, we've probably committed one of those at least once in our life. And it says that they have no inheritance. But more importantly, he says, you know with certainty. So that's without a doubt. 
100%, I know that anyone that is immoral, impure, covetous, and idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom. That's a hard pill to swallow. But again, it's not that you've done this once or twice. If we go back to the very beginning, he says, these must not be named among you. This must not be how you are seen. This must not be what the first thing you think of, your first action, that kind of stuff. So it kind of takes away the brunt of the severity of what he's saying. Is it's not just the trip up, right? Because if there's a last piece of bacon, I'm going to be greedy and I'm going to take that last piece of bacon. That's not going to condemn me to hell, right? I still have my inheritance. But if people thought of me and they thought of me as a greedy person, that's when I'm in troubled water. So as we move into the second section, it's a a larger section. We're going to look at verses 6 through 13. And here we start to gather where that, that difference really comes into play. He starts to talk about light and darkness. And so... To start out with, we're going to start out with verse 6. I think this is very key. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And now, I I looked into a few commentaries to see what they had to say about this. um, Because so far, there were no empty words mentioned by Paul. So I was confused as to what his reference of empty words was. And what I figured out was essentially people telling you, oh, it's okay. Don't worry, it's not that bad. So with coarse jesting, people telling you, oh, it's okay to make a joke every once in a while. Well, it shouldn't be. Or it's okay to be greedy every once in a while. Well, no, it shouldn't be. And those are the empty words, and it says that deceive us and that bring God's wrath upon us. And so if we live a life where oh, it's okay in a certain level, then that level will continue to rise, continue to rise, continue to rise, thus making us sons and daughters of disobedience. We're called to not be among filthiness and coarse jesting and and silly talk. And so the empty word of no, it's okay deceives a lot of us, especially in today's culture as it's normal. If you're the guy in a room not joking at people and everybody else is, you're seen as odd. And so it's easy to fall into that trap of, oh, well, this one time it'll be okay. Well, that one time will lead into multiple other times, almost every time. So then Paul goes on to say, Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. And so this is where Paul starts to get at, hey, that used to be who you are, but as a saint, as a believer in Christ, that's no longer who you are, so you shouldn't partake in those actions. And so this is where Paul draws that hard line of saying, that's old, this is new. That was darkness, This is light. And this is where we have to really make that first intentional decision 
of whether or not I want to choose a life that is focused in light and that I have good vision, or do I want to stay amidst darkness and what that has to offer? So as you see for the rest of this section, he really drives this difference home. It says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Try, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So if you read the parens in the midst of that sentence, it breaks up a very key sentence. So I'm going to reread that for us without the parens. It says, walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now the question of what is pleasing to the Lord is in the parens, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so here is where I want to drive home our big point today of living intentionally. I think that's the main principle that Paul is trying to get to us today, is that if we claim to be a light of the Lord, if we claim to live that way and walk as his children, the phrase trying to learn what is pleasing is key. And then Paul gives some examples in the prens of good, goodness, righteousness, um, and truth. And those are things that we have to choose to do intentionally, right? You can't just try to learn something accidentally. It takes action and it takes intentionality. And so if we look at the words listed so far by Paul on the darkness side and on the good side, right? It's the intentional choice of choosing goodness rather than filthiness. It's the intentional choice of righteousness over immorality. It's the intentional choice of not allowing the world to deceive us, but choosing the truth that we know God has for us. And to be honest, a lot of that, it feels daunting. Or we get so comfortable in life that we think just our natural past will make the correct decision for us. There's a song called Instincts by the band Ivory Line. And uh, when I first started my walk with God, it was a very important song for me. The chorus says, um, instincts cannot keep me from falling. And it repeats that. And it's true. I think a lot of times in our lives, and I think this is what Paul is trying to drive home, is a lot of times, even though we might be amongst a community of believers or, or deeply rooted, we think that we can go throughout life and our natural instincts will keep us from doing wrong. And Paul's saying, nope, that's not going to happen. Intentionally choose to not do wrong and you, that you'll keep from doing wrong. If we rely on our instincts, we all have sin, sin nature in us. Therefore, instincts will often take us the wrong way. Then it says, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful to even speak of things which are done by them in secret. And so this is where it starts Paul starts to turn the, the feeling of this passage 
on its head. And he says, when you see darkness, call it out. And what I like about this is it, talks, it, it gives the idea of being in community, right? So amongst us, we spend some mornings joking and, and talking or poking fun at each other. Um, and sometimes it, it, it reaches a level that it shouldn't. And so for, for us, we should call that out and be like, hey, we're getting into darkness. Or say, you know, you go and you watch a movie or someone wants to watch a movie, but it's not a wholesome movie, calling that out as, no, that would be bad to go into that movie. And so this is where I think the, the idea of Christians not being able to have fun comes from, is we're called to living at this higher standard. We're called to a living of intentionality of good versus evil. And calling out the evil when we see it so that others can stay away from it is a part of our job. It may not that we would stumble over it, but somebody else might. And we should be thinking about our fellow, fellow brothers and sisters and their walks just as much as we are trying to keep ours focused. So at the end here... <clears throat> It says, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Now, there's a, there's a lot of stories in Scripture about how darkness flees from light and evil things don't like the light and they hate the light. And it's a very true statement. And I think when we see this amongst people, it's the most evident. How many of you know someone that is not a believer that is fully encapsulated in bad choices in life, right? I think we all know at least one person or have been there ourselves. When you try and come in and show love or, or show or give peace to them, oftentimes it, it results in conflict because they don't like it. Or they pull the you're just being holier than thou card on you. And it's because they're afraid of what is going to become visible. Which is often not the best, but it happens. But what Paul says here is truth is that everything becomes exposed. And I think, I think a part of this is that ev that's even for us. We all sin. We all have, have areas in our life in which we want to work on or are trying to work on. And so when we come along someone else that is a believer, that means our light's twice as bright. That means stuff that might be hidden in a corner that you thought was in darkness will probably become visible. Stuff that you try and hide will probably become visible. When I was in Tennessee, I used to, uh, I used to sneak out of the, the house that I was living in with a bunch of guys um, and go out and do whatever I, whatever I wanted. And it started to really weigh on my conscience because uh, I was living one life, but I was saying I was living one life, but living a, a completely different one. And so I went up to one of the guys that lived in the house with me. and I was like, hey, don't let me leave the house after this time. I'm not allowed. Just take my keys. Um, and he started to do so. And then one night... Um, 
him and I were going down to Nashville to go see a concert. And we started to talk about God and about areas in our life that we've needed to work on. And the conviction that I felt at that moment to truly tell him why I didn't want to go out at night was heavy and blinding. I, I couldn't think of anything else. There were parts of me that wanted to keep it under wraps and be like, no, don't, don't do that, don't do that. But the sad, or the, the truth is, is that when you're surrounded by light, darkness has nowhere to go. And that's a key point to what Paul is trying to tell us here by giving us warnings of not living in a life of darkness. One of the easiest things to do is surround yourself in light, and then it's impossible to be in darkness. So community is a huge, huge factor in this. As we continue on, Paul references in verse 14, he references Isaiah 60, verse 1. I'll go ahead and I'll read uh, verse 14, and then I'll, I'll read verse six, or Isaiah 61 for you. It says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, in Scripture, oftentimes when someone is, is noted as being asleep or dead, they're the same thing. We think when Peter was asked to come save um, the, oh, what position was he? He was a, a big guy, the, the dude's daughter. I forget what his position was. Uh, he, he says, do not worry, she's just asleep. And everyone starts laughing at him. Right? In Mark, there's a big uh, parable of the sleeping watchman. And so there's this idea that if, we're, if we are dead spiritually, we are asleep. And so here, Paul is saying, arise from that darkness, arise from your slumber, arise from the spiritual death in which you are living, so that Christ can shine. I think more importantly, an aspect, an aspect of this is those of us that have the light in us that choose to sleep, that choose to try and hide the light that Christ has put in us. It's like in Matthew 15 where it says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl, but they let it shine for the whole household. Well, if we've come to a point in our life where we have acknowledged the truth and the light that God has, and we accept that into us, why should we live a life that speaks opposite? of the light that we now hold? Why should I choose to live a life of filthiness and immoral, immorality and impurity instead of arising from the darkness and allowing Christ to shine through me? All right, last leg. We're almost there. So 15 through 21, it says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Let's stop right there. Again, we see this idea of Paul really touching base on this intentionality. Be careful. 
everything around us can try and trip us up and, and can try make us fumble or deceive us with empty words. And so be mindful of what you do. Be mindful of where you go. He follows it up. It says, oh, I skipped that slide. Well, dang it. All right, let's back up just a second. So he follows it and, he, and says, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because days are evil. So here we get the split of a wise man versus an unwise man. A wise man does what he knows is most beneficial for him. An unwise man does the opposite. And so if I know that if I go into a certain situation, I'm probably going to stumble, it would not be wise to go in there. Right? And so we all have those, have those moments in our life where we're faced with a fork in the road. There's the wise decision and an unwise decision. Which do we choose? Paul here is telling us that we should be a wise man instead of the unwise. It says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so this further goes into the fact that God knows or we know that God wants us to live a life that follows him and is in accordance to him. So if we know that's what God wills for us, why would we ever choose something else? That's a hard question to ask. As we move on, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, I bolded the do not get drunk on wine for, for a couple reasons. Um, one is it doesn't say do not drink wine. It says do not get drunk on wine. So, drinking wine every once in a while is okay. Second is the idea of drunkenness is not being of sober mind. And this is a pivotal point because Paul, throughout the beginning of this section, is talking about us making clear choices. Is talking about us choosing light over darkness. If we are not of sober mind, it makes that a whole lot harder. A whole lot harder. And now dissipation, I didn't know what he was referring to in this context. Because um, I know to dissipate is to make something not there anymore. But it didn't seem to fit here. And what this is talking about is being frugal with your, your money. Just, just throwing stuff out that doesn't need to be there. Being wasteful. And so on one hand, getting drunk is being wasteful. Wasteful of both that alcohol, because once you're drunk, you can't really enjoy it anymore. But two, you're wasting the mind in which God gave you. You're wasting the choices in which you can be focused on rather than being drunk. But it says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking in psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs. And so this is the counter to that. Instead of going out and... and getting drunk or doing things that would 
make us become unsober-minded, be filled with the Spirit, which helps us align with God even more. That will pull us closer into the light and become more focused. And then whenever we're in community, speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making a melody with my, our heart to the Lord. And so again, it's this idea that when we're in community, everything can get lifted up. Everything that can be lifted up and encouraged so that we can become more like God among us. Among us. Again, Paul says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So again, as Paul closes out this section, it's an idea of giving thanks for all things. Pointing everything back to God and being like, thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity. And then at the second part, it says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's a weird phrase. To be subject to is to be available or, or to be given to someone else. And so if we read it that way, to be given to another in the fear of Christ, again, it just seems like a weird statement. But the way I take it as is to be available for each other for fear of Christ. And what this means is being fearful or the wrath that God has if someone were to be in darkness, I should be available to that person to help shine light into their life. I should be available to someone to help them to love and to sacrifice for them if necessary. And I do this not in a trembling fear, but as a reverential fear and respect because it's what Christ did for us. Laying his life down, being subject, and taking on our sins and our filthiness for God. So as we close out, the big question is what does it all mean? And I mentioned it a couple of times, and it's the fact of living intentionally. We can't allow what we think we know or, or our instincts to guide us through this life. It's not that easy. But we need to make intentional decisions of staying out of darkness and going into the light. We need to make intentional decisions on being the light for other people. And lastly, making the intentional decision of awaking from our life of death if that is where we have been living. Would you pray with me? Father God, we pray to thank you for today. We pray to thank you for your message. It's a hard one because there's, a, there's times in our lives that we could look at this list and be like, well, what's the point? I, I check most of those boxes, so why, why even try and live or be light. Well, the fact is, it's because you allow us to. God, you allow that we could have a light that we could spread to the world so that everyone can know who you are amidst our filthiness. And that is the, what Christ did on the cross that takes that filthiness away 
and allows us to be light. So God, as we approach the table today and are reminded of that sacrifice and are reminding of the cleansing that you give to us, I just pray that we could think about our lives and the intentional decisions that we make and that we would intentionally choose you over darkness every time. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.